We ready? Well, you know, you folks, if you could, I don't know how to get you closer, but. Uh, oh, this is really close, Ray. You have, you have one, this congregation's over. I've never seen the congregation so close. Hey, really, let me follow up on that and encourage you. Uh, you want to make your pastor happy. It is so hard to preach when people are half a mile away. And when they come up close, it makes it so much easier. And probably I could say it this way. If everybody in this church would come closer, pastor's sermon would probably be 10 minutes shorter. So what? Little Zachary was having trouble in mathematics. His parents had tried everything. Tutors, mentors, flashcards, special training centers. In short, everything or everything they could think of to help in his math. Finally, in a last-ditch effort, they took uh, Zachary down and enrolled him in the local Catholic school. After the first day, little Zachary came home with a very serious look on his face. He didn't even kiss his mother hello. Instead, he went straight to his room and started studying. Books and papers were spread out all over the room, and little Zachary was hard at work. His mother was amazed. She called him down to dinner, though. To her shock, the minute he was done, he marched back to his room without a word, and in no time he was back hitting the books as hard as before. This went on for some time, day after day, while the mother tried to understand what made all the difference. Finally, little Zachary brought home his report card. He quietly laid it on the table, went up to his room, and hit the books. With great trepidation, his mother looked at it, and to her great surprise, little Zachary got an A in math. She, she could no longer, however, hold her curiosity, so she went to his room and said, Son, what is it? What? Was it the nuns? Little Zachary looked at her and shook his head, No. Well, then, she replied, Was it the books, the discipline, the structure, the uniforms? What was it? Little Zachary looked at her and said, Well, on the first day of school, when I saw that guy nailed to a plus sign, I knew they weren't fooling around. <laughs> I thought it was funny. Anyhow. Let's begin again. We're going to skip some material. I want you to skip with me over to page three and part four. And I wish we had time to do the rest, but we just haven't scheduled that. And so let's do part four, presenting, preventing disasters. Uh, these are things that I believe are principles. I, I know they're principles, and they're, and they're principles from the Word of God. Uh, I just want to make sure that we understand that on our responsibility to uh, to the Lord, to the body of Christ, and to ourselves, so we understand some of these principles. Number 13 under part 4, stay in touch with God's people. Uh, we are the body of Christ and we need each other. That's about the third time now I've said that this day. And uh, it's, it's a principle that cannot be denied, but it's one ultimately that I believe is in the enemy's arsenal to destroy. If you can get you disillusioned with something in your church, something about God's people, it's amazing how we react to God rather than to react to the person. Now, in the world, when I react, I usually react to the person. In the church, it's just as easy to do what? Walk out on the church, which is really to walk out sometimes on God, because so many that walk out don't go to another church. And many of them don't continue to serve the Lord. And then years later, you're talking to them, and uh, they come up with things like, if that's what Christianity is all about, I don't want anything to do with it. I want to go, what an incredible deception. I, I mean... It just, it's just hard for me to understand. Uh, but, you know, in some ways, you know, I suppose that if my son, when he was growing up in my house, did something wrong, uh, that they would think evil of, my, uh, of his father. Uh, 
But really, that's not the case, and it should never be the judgment. And we do that. We judge God for the way God's people operate. Uh, don't do that. Don't let your friends do it, by the way, either. Uh, if they have a, a hurt or a pain, go to them as gently as possible and say, listen, uh, d don't judge God. Don't be angry with God for what you find as idiosyncrasies among your, your people, your brethren. And, and remember this, they are your people, and they need to understand that. Remember that. Uh, part 14, uh, share your heart with others. I, I'm not talking about big mouth people because uh, all of us have a tendency to go overboard. Uh, in fact, when we're talking about almost any difficulty in any situation, there's usually two ends of a spectrum. For instance, when I'm talking about ultra-political ultra people today and their responses, and especially a kind of a right-wing, or it can be a left-wing, extremism. Are you with me on that? There's also people within the body of Christ that are just plain not interested in politics whatsoever. Uh, and there's nothing about their lives that ultimately there should be something there that is interested about the condition of the world in which you and I live. And so we get these two opposite ends of the spectrum, if you will. I mentioned this spectrum, the extremist spectrum, simply because of the, the nature of politics in America over the last six months or so, from about uh, October until now. Because I think many people would say, I didn't realize how fast we're moving towards socialism since about October of last year. Or I didn't understand, maybe somebody would say, uh, of the, the political and, and uh, religious uh, difficulties that we're facing with Islam, for instance. And it just goes back and forth from one side of uh, uh, disconcern or non-concern to uh, this thing over here. Uh, how, how many understand the political side of it and the extremism part because you're hearing it? And so you may, and I'm not criticizing these names now. That, that I'm trying to make a point. But you can listen to Lou Dobbs, or you can listen to O'Reilly, or you can listen to Glenn Beck, or you can listen to Coast to Coast with George Norrie. You can listen to all of these kinds and types of things and discover something you didn't know on that particular broadcast or telecast, and all of a sudden just go, whoa, that's happening in my country? How many have had that kind of happen to you? Oh, you know, and I want to say, uh, always remember this, and that is that Jesus knew it before you did. And he knows what's going on. Now the prayer becomes, Lord, I was pretty shocked at what I just heard. What do I do? And, of course, there's kind of a mentality that goes something like this, and that is, well, Ray, what do you want us to do? Then? Just stand back and do nothing? And I'm going to say, absolutely not. We are people of the kingdom. And Jesus is the example, if you will, of who we are and what we are. And when he was here 2,000 years ago, notice this. He didn't pay much concerning the political dynamics of that day. The reason? He was about the kingdom. And so he said it this way, I'm about my father's business. Whatsoever I see what? The father do, I do. And so there's a completely different mentality that I want to make sure that the, the Christ-like mentality is in my life before I begin to react to the situations of life around me. I want to make sure the kingdom has invaded me significantly enough so that I can respond kingdom-wise to what's going on in the world because I'm certainly not suggesting passivity towards what's going on in our nation. Not by any means. It's just that I'm not sure how to act or react or respond uh, after I listen to some of the things that are going on. And then I have to be real careful of this, and that is there's an awful lot of stuff out there on the Internet right now that appears to be true. Trace it, and it's not true. My roommate in college, um, just not too long ago, emailed me something that was of deep concern. Uh, 
And I emailed him back very carefully, and I said, Brian, I need your resource. And he emailed me back the resource, and I, I, just, you know, I just felt like saying, Brian, come on. Uh, this is not a credible organization, as far as I can tell, by any means, to give forth the kind and type of stuff that you're giving me. And so the alarmist mentality out there, I'm not going to fall to an alarmist mentality because I know Jesus like you know Jesus, and he wasn't an alarmist. Jesus was not an alarmist. He simply told the truth. Now, if the truth alarms me, that's my problem. But he wasn't an alarmist. And so I remember talking to a, a guy right after Y2K, and I got a little bit upset with him because he proclaimed to be the watchman on the wall. Do you remember how there was this incredible element of all the things that were going to go bad with Y2K, and then nothing happened? And I want to say, you know, you guys who put all of this fear in the rest of us need to be dealt with. So how are you going to do it? I don't know, slap him up the head? I don't know, just, you know, just, which I wouldn't do, of course, but... You see the frustration? Oh, this is why I need Jesus. I need Jesus much, much more than I realize sometimes because I do not know how to react or respond sometimes correctly. Is this being taped? I need that on tape. But because that's so significant. I am, am almost exactly convinced of what you just said being the source of so much of the worry, anxiety, and fear in the lives of people and in Christians as well. Here's what basically, if I interpret it correctly, what you're saying. We are bombarded with so much what? Information. And what does that do? Every piece of that information has got to be processed one way or another. I can process it by neglecting it, or I can process it by trying to understand it, or I can, and sometimes the processing turns out to be anxiety and fear because I don't know what to do with it. And it was information that caused me to be afraid. When it's information that caused me to be afraid and I can't process it correctly, it will leave an element, a resident, an element, a residual element in you that you will carry after that only to have it someplace come out a little bit later on. And so this element, that element, all of these things are depositing pieces, bits and pieces in our minds. I need Jesus to cleanse my mind periodically of the junk that's out there. It's one of the reasons, again, why I'm very selective as to what I watch on television. Now, I admit this. I watch an awfully lot of what I'm talking about right now because I want to know what is affecting God's people. Then I watch an awful lot of it simply because of my scientific desire. Uh, being a mathematician, very interested in physics, interested in the new web telescope when it goes up, interested in the Hubble right now. I follow all of that to the nth degree. Really, really interested in it. But I'm very careful because as somebody just shared with me a few moments ago, what is happening both in the political realm and in the science realm is really religion. It's hard to understand that maybe. But you listen to what's going on and it's now, according to uh, most scientists out there, I'd say a good portion of them anyhow, it's a foregone conclusion with almost all of the scientists out there today that are looking at uh, how the earth was made and so forth, that evolution is a fact. 
And I listen to that, and I go, wow, God, that's a, that's a tough one. Say, so, Ray, what are you doing about it? I know this. I'm not going to fight it until I have the mind of God, because I don't know what to do about it. You know, sometimes you just appear to be an idiot when you go out there and try to say, no, it's not true. God's got a way of dealing with every single problem that has ever existed on the face of the earth. And by the way, probably right now, as much as we are involved in some very, very difficult times, you go back in history, and it was far worse in a lot of different eras than it is right now. And God brought the church through every single one of those eras. He'll bring the church through again. I just need to listen to him and not become... Uh, fear longer or, or, or and so I, I'm telling you I, I watch the stuff I listen to the stuff uh, but I try to be very careful that it doesn't uh, begin to affect me I, I'm a creationist in the beginning in the beginning God I can't get away from that now I tell you what sometimes evolution makes more sense than creation does not anymore for me but there was a time I could have been lured into it very easily. Because it does make sense to a mind that is not tracking with the scriptures. Now it's a matter of, <laughs> and I'm not going to even fight over how old the earth is. Say, how old do you believe it is? I believe in a young earth. But I don't care. I believe in the beginning God created. In the beginning God created. And I'm not going to follow the evolutionary thing anywhere. And some of you realize that there's this new link out right now. How many have heard of this, the link? This fossil that has been found in Germany and all that's going on with that. And they hope that it is the final, ultimate proof that we are related to monkeys. We were just at the, the uh, Santa Barbara Zoo taking my grandchildren there and watching this great, big, huge ma mammoth ape and a whole lot of people watching this guy. And I was so tempted to say to everybody in that room, I am not related to him in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> I should have done it. I should have done it. He is not one of my forefathers. He is not a brother. He was created by God, and I was created by God. But I was also generated by God, and that's what makes me different from the apes, if you will. I am different, and you are different. Ah, who cares? And then number 15, we talked about this. Do what? Look at the positive. I used to work for a World Literature Crusade a number of years ago. In fact, when I quit teaching school... I went to work for uh, an organization called the International Prayer Corps. It was in Sa Sacramento. And it was a round-the-clock, 24-hour prayer center. It was a wonderful experience. And then with a director who was invited to go to one of the larger missionary organizations in the world, World Literature Crusade, he invited his staff, whoever wanted to go, to go with him, and I went. And uh, I, I, my responsibility for a, a very large organization was to travel with other guys, I mean, we all went in different directions, and teach and preach on the subject of prayer, to raise up prayer in America. And I started in about 1977 with them. And so I'd go out, and uh, uh, after I did a seminar, however, I was, it, my responsibility was to get a reaction from you folks, from the, the audience. And so we'd hand out little uh, response cards. And uh, I'd fill out those little, they'd fill out the little response card and give them back to me. And, of course, I'd go get on an airplane trying to get home after that. So I'd go to church on uh, my day of, uh, of worship. And all of a sudden, I'm pulling those things out of my attache case and, and starting to look at them. Uh, which ones were I looking for? The positive ones or the negative ones? I wasn't looking for the positive ones. Sure, I was looking for the ones. I was looking for the negative ones. Because I wanted to know who didn't like me. 
you know, where did I mess up? I mean, there would be ones that went excellent and then had the most incredible responses on them. And it was kind of like, put those over there, you know, because uh, I didn't want to take a bunch of negative things back to my, see what my boss have to see them or something like that, or I don't know. So one day I was in and my supervisor, I was in his office actually and sitting and talking to Dave Patterson, a wonderful, wonderful man of God. And the subject of evaluation came up and he got angry with me. He got really angry with me. And I don't think, I think he leaned across his desk and actually pointed at me and he said, Ray, you can have 98% positive remarks and 2% negative and you will zero in on the 2% every single time. And I made a commitment that day that that would never happen again. And my personality began to change. Everything about me began to change. Now, I still am bothered by negative comments. And I don't know that it's a desire to please so much. It's a desire that I want to do what God wants me to do and hope that everything comes out right. But occasionally I get a very negative comment from my teaching and preaching. It's just going to happen. And your pastor's going to get them too. And I'll tell you what, I want you to do this from this day on. You pray for your pastor every single day. Below the creating me a clean heart, put your pastor's name, put his wife's name, put his son's name, because it is almost impossible for me to tell you how much these guys go through horrendous elements of attack, and most of it just plain stupid stuff. I mean, I listen to it and I go, there's nothing legitimate. There's nothing, I mean, this is just somebody with a, a bad spirit, and, and then he's got to take it. And I say, pray for this man. Pray for him. Pray that the enemy would not be able to, get to attack him. Pray that this stuff will be cut off. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 is a marvelous verse of Scripture. It basically says we need to take account for those who have the rule and authority over us, and we need to respect them. And if your pastor does something wrong, don't worry about it. I'll kill him. Because I can get away with it. No, here's what I really mean to say, is your district will take care of it. Now, if your district won't take care of it, and that man's called to be the pastor of this church, then I know somebody else will take care of it. How many remember the um, Bill Cosby show? Love Bill Cosby. I mean, just was an excellent actor, as far as I was, I'm concerned. How many remember there was an episode where he and his TV son were not getting along? And they were head-to-head in a kind of a verbal battle. And finally, Bill Cosby stops it and it says, basically, he says, I brought you into this world and I can take you out. And that, my friend, is an incredible biblical concept, principle. Is that when you let God do the dealing. You see, when I was sitting in that congregation, my congregation telling you all the stuff that's going on in my mind, I could have made a mess out of somebody else's life, and especially if I had been getting to talk that up, and I let an element of gossip go, I could have hurt a weak brother or a weak sister, and then, boy, that's, that, that's going to really hurt. Because what I feed into them is going to stick in their minds for a long period of time. I may get it straightened out with a pastor, but I'm leaving somebody out there that may not be as strong as somebody else, vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. Can't do that, friend. That's why it's a matter of be very careful. You don't gossip what's going on until you actually know the facts, and it's your responsibility to take care of them. And so a pastor just want to tell you, he brought you in, he can take you out. Not your responsibility, folks, not my responsibility. And I 
rejoice in that, meaning simply I don't have to be the watchdog over the church. Now, there are bad things that happen sometimes, and pastors need to be removed, and other leaders, and so forth. Uh, most churches are set up. This church is set up to handle that, and mine is too, so I can handle that. Uh, remember God's promises. Every once in a while, I have to stop and remember. God says, son, I haven't given you a spirit of fear. Uh, every once in a while, I have to stop and remember God is saying, and this time through Peter, but it's God saying, that I'm to cast all my what? Care upon him. And you start to look at the words of Jesus, and you begin to realize God's saying an awful lot of things, Ray, that you need to remember, because these are life-saving issues, if you will. And so just remember the words of Jesus and how much he's saying. For instance, in John chapter 14, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives unto you. And then what? Let not your heart be troubled. I don't do a good job of that. Oh, I'm doing far better today than I did 10 years ago. Meaning simply, it's a process, and we continue to grow in the process. And I'm saying, Lord, I want to continue to grow in this process of not letting my heart be troubled. And there's two reasons for doing so. One, I don't like the troubling element myself. And number two, I suppose not just myself, but most of us don't realize how much we affect spouse, children, other people around us when, our, when we're allowing ourselves to be troubled. And you can't hide it. So what do I do with it? You can be legitimately concerned to the point, number 14 again, that you can share your heart with others. Let me tell you a story. As a young Christian, and I mentioned some of this this morning, I was having trouble with evil thoughts. And again, I don't ever recall having an evil thought till the day I got saved. First of all, how many can understand what I just said? It was just problematic thoughts all the time. And, um, and then a little thought that would come with that, saying simply, if you were really a Christian, you wouldn't think that way. Does anybody identify with that? Just kind of a further put down. And so I got saved a second time, and a third, and a fourth, and a fifth. And I joke sometimes with congregations that I got saved 476 times the first two years of my Christian experience. And there's a lot of people that question their salvation until ultimately they come sufficiently into the word to begin to realize that when God says something along the lines of salvation, he means it. And that when I responded correctly the first time, and I know today, the first time I got saved, and I, can, I know it as sure as anything else by what I know today the Word says, and so no, no problem whatsoever. But I was having the problem. And I remember so clearly, I was, I was driving with an elderly man. I was in the pickup driving, and he was next to me, and a Christian man. And I was afraid to tell anybody about what was going on inside for fear of condemnation, because I was already feeling guilt and condemnation from what is happening. Do you understand what I'm saying? I don't want to tell anybody. And especially, I don't want to tell this guy, who's a good Christian man. But I just blurted it out finally. I said, hey, man, I'm having trouble. And, you know, instead of condemning me, this elderly gentleman, in a sense of compassion, came back with a thought that perhaps you have heard before, but it certainly bears repeating. In essence, he said, son, you can't stop the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from making a nest in your hair. And what he was saying is, you can't stop the thought from coming sometimes. But you don't need to entertain it, nor do you need to take responsibility for it. It was like a two-ton weight just absolutely fell off of me. First of all, I began to understand I'm not alone. And over the last 30-some years now, I've talked to people about these things. And the people have raised their hands, shook their head, and said, Ray, I understand. I know, I know, I know. 
And I want to say, yeah, because it's a tactic that the enemy tries to use against us to discourage us and bring us into hopelessness. It's not going to work if we know the truth. I know the truth today. I still want to make sure, though, that I'm placing myself in places where my mind isn't going to be entangled in stupid stuff because I've allowed a situation that would encourage that. And so remember the good ones, 16. And then I have to remember the not-so-good ones. And so... I would normally ask you to turn to Galatians chapter 5, but I'm not going to do that. But I want you to listen carefully now. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, talks about the flesh. And it gives 17 different works of the flesh. The first four, adultery, fornication, and so forth, are sexual sins. The next two after that are worship sins. And then the ones after that are relational sins. And then at the end of that, it says, those who, and this is an important word, those who practice these things shall not what? Inherit the kingdom of God. In in Psalm 66, verse 18, the scripture says, if I practice iniquity, it's basically what it's saying, the Lord will not hear me. And so you can understand the two put together. But still, in 1 John 1, 9, the Bible says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to do what? Forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from... All unrighteousness. So the point is this, one point. There's a difference between tripping and falling into sin and the harsh reality of the flesh in which we live and then just knowingly practicing sin. Meaning simply, like, you know, it just doesn't make any difference. I'm going to do it anyhow. And boy, I'll tell you what, there's a difference between the two. Now, I just ran across a grandmother last week, this past week, who was sharing with me about her grandson. And she said, he's become involved in a church that allows you to do anything you want. doesn't make any difference what sin is in your life, apparently. It's a matter of God's grace is sufficient to cover all of that. And I want to say, well, hold on a minute. The promise of God says different than that. The promise of God in this case is a warning that you and I cannot practice sin and get away with it. Well, I'll tell you, when I start to practice sin, I'm screaming to God. It's a matter of, Lord, get me out of this as quickly as possible. Create me a clean heart. Do whatever you've got to do, God. Do, 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 do something because this thing has got to be broken in my life. And so going back to, uh, it's the little things that begin the process. There's a little thing here, a little thing there. And I find this, you know, all you have to do is, uh, is begin to practice a little bit of that kind of stuff and it gets stuck to you. Uh, integrity is a big thing in our world today because it's such a little thing. Or it's not well regarded, you know. Uh, it's amazing to me the number of Christians that I run across that can steal things. I just ran across a pastor recently, and he admitted, yeah, I stole that. I'm kind of going, what? Yeah, he pirated something off of something, you know. And I'm kind of going, you know that's wrong. Why did you do I haven't confronted him yet, but I'll get him. Or I hope the Lord will get him. And so little things. How many understand the little things? The little foxes do what? They grow up, and they spoil the vine, the Bible says. And, so, and I'm not trying to be a legalist here. I'm simply saying we have a responsibility to God and the help of the Holy Spirit to live an integrous life. And if we're not living it, it's a matter of, Lord, I need your help to live it. And I'm convinced of it. God will give us the help if we want the help. And that's the right spirit that I want God to develop in me. A couple more to do, and then we'll go home. Right, number seven. Recognize the world in conflict. Or let me say it this way. Don't be so naive as to be shocked by what the world does. That's just being naive. 
we live in a very war-torn, spiritually speaking, war-torn world. Uh, this is a fight not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers. That's amazing to me to see how many politicians fail, both right and left. It's even more amazing to recognize that we have a huge number of Christian leaders today that are falling. And yet it's not surprising sometimes, simply because of the war that's going on. But when it happens in the world, it doesn't surprise me at all. Not at all. Because they don't have the same protection that you and I have. And fortunately, within the body of Christ, the mess-ups and so forth are so small sometimes, or so... Uh, they're not immaterial by any means, but the percentage-wise is down to where I want to say I love the pastors that God has, even those the ones that have messed up. But there's far more pastors who are doing a good job than those who are messing up. And by the way, I, may I encourage and ask this of you? This is a personal thing that I want to ask of you. Be very careful when you try to evaluate the body of Christ. Somebody just emailed me and basically said the churches are just a mess today. And I want to say you have never traveled to see what they are evidently. I have. And I'll tell you, God's people are wonderful people. The church is not as messed up as some people would say it is. And you can't make a blanket statement on your particular area unless you've got the expertise because you've gone from one place to another, to another, to another, to another. And I have done that. And I want to say, I am so delighted with God's people. It's just incredible. Are we messing up in some ways? Yeah, big time. But I want to put a positive spin on the fact that when God brings people into the kingdom, he does a marvelous work with them. And I want to say, be careful that you do not speak incorrectly, if you will, or you do not speak against. Listen, uh, I, I don't dare you, but I'll tell you what not to do before the end of the service or even after it's over. Whatever my wife does that may not be appealing to you, whatever you do, don't criticize her. You come to me. Because if you do... I'm going to be all over you like sweat on a mule's back. How many get the point? The point isn't my wife and it's not me. The point is, you start talking negative about the body of Christ, you're talking about the very thing that is closest to the heart of God than anything that's ever been created. That God would sacrifice, that God would give, that he would become human, that the cross would exist, the plus sign, if you will. All of these things, I'll tell you what, he loves the body so much that if you start speaking against it, you, my friend, are in trouble with the Holy Spirit. Be careful. Just a caution. Be careful. God's people, oh yeah, we need some correction by all means. We're people in process, if you will. There's none good, no, not one. And I want to say, wow, what an incredible body. What a wonderful body. Number 18, continue to seek God. Continue to seek God. Number 19, continue to walk in obedience. That is, avoid sin. Uh, here's something I find that uh, is, is a real danger element within the body of Christ. Follow me real carefully on this. And that is, when we get tired as Christians, even as Christians, there is a tendency to kind of let up just a little bit. It's kind of like on my diet right now. I'm tired. I'm worn out. I've been on a plane for six hours. I've traveled this far. I've gone that far. I'm across the country, flying in and out of one place after another, all over the place. I get tired. I come home. I sit on my couch and what do I want? I want a dish of ice cream, and I want it now. And my wife won't serve me usually, and so I have to get up and go get it myself. But if I go get it myself, I get the whole what? Carpool carton. You've been there. Yeah. <laughs> and here's what happens. I'm tired, so caution goes out the window. 
And I have sat down and basically eaten pretty close, I think, to a whole carton of ice cream at one time. Now, I am not going to condemn you if you've done that. I want to say, just remember Ray Buesen because I love to do that too. But you put that into the spiritual dynamics of what I'm talking about, and all of a sudden somebody is very lackadaisical in their ethics and in their morality because they're just tired, I want to say. You're going to get tired in the days ahead. Remember, simply don't mess up because it's only going to hurt you and others around you. Just move, move through it, and you'll find you get out the other side pretty quickly. And then... Avoid isolation. We were made for community. We were made for community. When I was a young, young guy, I still like cars today, old cars. Um, I had a 64 Chevy Impala two-door hardtop supersport with a 327 engine in it in my driveway over here in Ventura, sitting next to my 59 Chevy Impala uh, with a 348 big block engine in it. My son and I owned a 68 Cougar XR7. My daughter owned a 65. I'm not ma making it with some of you people. I thought some of you would kind of go, oh. I go to a car show and I'm just, oh. this is absolutely beautiful. And I sold my cars because I didn't use them and they were just kind of going to get rusty anyhow. And so today I collect Hot Wheels and little toy die-cast cars. And I even play with them. All by myself. I don't have to have my one-year-old around. I don't know. I just every once in a while, I'll get one out, and I just kind of open the doors and open the hood, you know, and I kind of go, that is cool. That is just really cool. Now, you folks know a secret that oh, not very many people know, but I've been determined I will not grow up. I want to stay young the rest of my life, so I got cars. So when I was a kid, a friend of mine and I used to travel the country looking for old jalopies and things like that, maybe to pick up. We were way in the back country of Washington State. Met a, he was a pretty well-known guy in a lot of ways. His name was Old Man Ross. That's what they called him anyhow. And he lived a hermit life. I'll tell you this. The worst existence I can begin to imagine. Something got him away from people. Something got into him that destroyed community. And you never want to allow that to happen ever. We were made for each other. There are thousands and millions, if you will, Christians today around the world who practice isolation every, every day of their lives. They come to church, they shop in crowded supermarkets, they drive crowded highways, but they never share the inner part of who they are and in that capacity never really fully participate in community. Let me invite you, if you're one of those people, you know somebody, you might want to go to that person and not tell them what I've just told you, but continue to invite them to become a part of the community of God's people. And of course, you'll probably hear things like, well, I've had my feelings hurt and I've had this happen and so forth. It's a matter of, it really doesn't make any difference what your past has been. God wants you to be a part of what's going on right now and he can protect you. Avoid major decisions if possible when under stress. Huge problems sometimes with people in general. I remember being under stress one time, put a for sale sign on my front lawn because <laughs> I wanted to move to some quiet little place up in the middle of nowhere where nobody would bother me. How many of you have ever had a kind of a vision like that? You know, can you envision a little A-frame cabin big enough for you and your spouse or just whatever? And, you know, and this is where you're going to go camp out for the rest of your life, you know. It's got to overlook a pretty little lake down below and maybe it's something like this. Here's the, here's the problem. Now that I've traveled to and preached in almost every major metropolitan place in the United States and so many of these little places where I'd love to have lived, here's what I find. They're no better off and much 
worse off in some cases than where I live or where you live or L.A. even. You say, how could it possibly be that way? I, I know a little burg not too far from here, actually, out in the middle of nowhere. Divorce is rampant in that little town. Or you get into another little town and drugs are just absolutely everywhere because they're not among the kids. They're in everybody's pocket, basically. You can't run anywhere, friend. It's a matter of you can run to Jesus, and that's the only place of protection. And so I live where I believe God's protecting me right now, and I love it. And I'm not moving, by the way, even though it is appealing every once in a while to get away from, and then you can name whatever it is you need to get away from. I do that in Jesus. When I go to prayer every day, I get away from the world get into him. So avoid major decisions if possible. And in my case, I really believe in sound Christian advice. You say, oh, it's just going to the world. And I want to say, uh, the Bible talks about having sound Christian advice around us and that not jeopardizing God making the decision as to what we should do. It's a matter of God speaks through his people who really know and understand him. And that advice affirms what God is saying to me. For instance, if I'm making a good decision, I believe God spoke to me and 10 Christians come to me and say, Ray, I don't think that this is right. I'll tell you what, I'm going to re-examine what I believe that God said to make sure it is right. And it's usually wrong when a bunch of Christians say, Ray, this isn't correct, this isn't right. And so I have to wait on the Lord long enough to make sure I know what is right. Because I, how many have made decisions that you just wish you'd never made before? Where you put, put your really hand up. How many just absolutely wish you'd never made them? I'm here right now to help you or maybe to help you help somebody else not to get stuck in that rut. But most of us, after we've got into a difficult situation, want to run to something else. And I want to make sure God is saying, Ray, you run there. Or to sit tight. I want the will of God. Here's another one. Uh, avoid, very similar, though. Uh, avoid, always avoid knee-jerk reactions. It's the situation, again, with the situation with my church. I'm sitting in church, and I see this girl singing in the, in the worship band or whatever, and, and know that she's got a problem, and she shouldn't be there. And I'm just tempted to say, I'm out of here. If they're going to treat sin lightly. And then I found out what the truth was, and all of a sudden, I'm glad I didn't say anything. And then strive for unity. Proverbs 6.16 is a, a tough verse of Scripture. It, it really, here's what it says. God hates seven things. The seventh thing on that list are people who destroy unity in the body of Christ. God hates people, read it for yourself, who destroy what? Unity. Now, here's the, here's the point. Unity and agreement are not the same. God's not asking me to agree with my pastor. He's saying, right, when there's a problem, deal with it correctly so that you're not dividing in such a way as to cause dissension. My wife and I don't agree on a lot of things, but I think we are, we've got pretty good unity going. And it's not a matter that we agree to disagree. It's a matter that both of us realize that personalities are radically different. And so we strive for what? We strive for unity. I'm, I'm not kidding you. My wife and I strive for unity to make sure that in the process of all the difficulties that have arisen over the years because of the potential or the disagreement or not seeing things correctly or the same, we've managed to stay at least 42 years together. And we don't agree on very many things, meaning simply that uh, she just uh, she just have different tastes than I do, different thoughts than I do, different attitudes and so forth. And we're able to really put together, I believe, a very sound marriage by recognizing, well, first of all, we don't have an option to divorce. If you've gone through divorce, I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about me. Uh, it is right now, we don't have an option. Are you with me? And so, And so it's not a matter of just working it out. It's a matter of 
uh, understanding the difference between agreement and unity. And then the last one, for tonight at least, don't shoot your Nathans. Don't shoot your Nathans. Anybody think you know what I mean by this? King David is a man after God's own heart. You can certainly appreciate the grace of God in the life of this individual because you have to admit this, that here we have a man who is an adulterer and then a murderer. That's King David. And yet the Bible says he's a man after God's own heart. Keep this in mind. God isn't justifying David's sin by any means. But he's certainly recognizing here's a man that's struggling with the flesh, but here's a man that wants to do what's right. And so David does both of these things. And if you remember carefully that uh, he, he has Uzziah killed, who is Bathsheba's husband, because he, he, he indicates to the captain of the, uh, the military, you know, put this guy in a position where ultimately he's not going to get out. And, uh, and David knew he would be killed, and that's exactly what happened. But he's already committed adultery with a man's wife. And he thinks he's pretty clear on all of this until the prophet Nathan does what? Comes to him and tells him a story about a man and a sheep. And in the process, it's revealed that the sin that was involved in the story was David's sin. And the point of not shooting your Nathans is always allow for somebody, and I'm talking about qualified people within the body of Christ, usually your pastor, let somebody speak harshly into your life if you need it. Or speak the word of God. I have to maintain that continuously or I will fall. I have to give, even as your pastor and I have become pretty close friends, I think, and becoming closer friends. Uh, we, we've actually done some things together just in terms of being, going out and just doing some stuff, if you will, and uh, just enjoying the day. Uh, if he sees something that needs to be spoken of into my heart, I want to receive that. And I'll be the kind of person that simply doesn't want criticism because if God's speaking, I want to make sure that I'm listening to what God is saying. Don't shoot your Nathans. And then stay strong and finish well. Well, there's a whole lot more. Perhaps someday I can come back and we'll keep covering more of it. Pastor?